Since I started studying Spanish, the music I listen to when I climb into my truck is salsa and cumbia. And classical piano. Since I met the American concert pianist Andrew Van Oyen, I've become reacquainted with Bach and Beethoven, Debussy, Chopin, and even a little Gershwin. Beautiful, isn't it? Andrew started his career in classical piano at the age of five. He had his solo orchestral debut when he was 10, played with the LA Philharmonic at 16, and for much of the past 30 years has performed with symphony orchestras around the world. He happens to have perfect pitch and, unusual for a classical musician, can play by ear. That's a bit of his music biography. Today, America the Bilingual is talking with Andrew about his language biography. I think this is such a great subject. It's one actually I've never discussed in an interview, believe it or not. Welcome to Season 5 of the America the Bilingual podcast. I'm Steve Levine. A professional of Andrew Van Hoyen's stature is rare, but every professional, no matter how talented, works in a competitive environment. So what is it, besides his extraordinary talent as a musician, that gives this concert pianist his edge? There is this. Andrew manages to strike a special chord with his colleagues and audiences throughout the world he does it with his use of their own languages. Learning a foreign language and speaking a foreign language is one of the greatest signs of respect you can show to another culture. That you would actually endeavor to study and communicate in their language, especially for Anglophones who don't necessarily have to learn these languages. Perhaps I had the kind of premonition that language would be important for my future. And indeed it has. I invite you now to listen to my conversation with this world-class pianist who's bringing American bilingualism to the world stage. Tell me about the home life that you grew up in, the, the linguistic aspects of your home? I grew up in a family that spoke English only. Though my mother, being a classical musician, being a classical singer, had studied a number of languages, among them uh, Italian, German, French, Spanish, it was important that her children learn a second language, at least a second language, she felt it had enriched her own life. And my grandmother was a linguist. She was a French and a German professor. Andrew started studying Spanish in middle school at a public school in Santa Monica, California. I remember feeling really excited the first day I had my Spanish class. I think what excited me about it was the somehow understanding that I was tapping into this whole new world that I had previously not been a part of. 
to start to learn to express myself in a different tongue. It's not just about like literally being able to express what I want to say, you know, just the needs you have of the moment. It, there's so much more that goes into speaking a, another language. You start to realize that you can express yourself in another language differently than you can express yourself in your native tongue. And that I found very exciting that actually I'm able to say some things I can't say in English, but also say them differently in Spanish. His Spanish teacher also taught French, and she gave her students an introduction to both. Andrew chose Spanish, but... I remember being just as drawn to French as I was to Spanish, yet I didn't have many chances to practice French (laughs) outside of the classroom. And uh, being in Southern California, of course, uh, (laughs) there were far far more chances to to practice Spanish. So I think I was motivated by that aspect. True enough, at least at this time in Andrew's life. But whose life stays the way it was in middle school? In high school, Andrew went to a private school known for its excellent music program. But he still kept up with his Spanish for all four years. I took it seriously because I wanted to take it seriously. I thought. I see that I'm making progress. The more I study this language, the better I can communicate in it. And it was just a goal to be able to to speak it and and cultivate new relationships in Spanish. I spoke pretty close to fluently at the end of high school. So as far as your music career, you were one of the country's rising stars at the classical piano. But you were a pretty precocious Spanish speaker, I guess. I suppose so. I mean, I, I do think that... I took it a little more seriously than most of my classmates. They could actually kind of score well in exams, but they couldn't really speak the language. And and I think that's simply because they didn't try to speak it. They just tried to get the grades. Do you think your affinity for Spanish is in any way related to your obvious talent as a musician? A lot of people think that there is a correlation between language and music, that if you have a good ear for music, you will have a good ear for language. I am not sure that this is true. Many opera singers who sing in multiple foreign languages and who sing with excellent diction in these languages, whether it be French, German, Italian, Russian, some of them can barely speak these languages at all offstage. So they have an ear for pronunciation, but not necessarily an ear for comprehension. It's a curious thing. After high school, Andrew headed east to Juilliard in New York City to pursue his passion for piano but he also took courses uptown at Columbia University. One of the courses I took was German. Why did you switch from Spanish to German? Well, because I felt, honestly, at that point, I could speak Spanish, but I wanted to continue. And I practiced in New York as much as I could my Spanish with whomever I I came across. How would you start speaking Spanish if you thought you were speaking with a Latino? So then we get into another uh, a subject that's a little delicate, which is I'm also mindful, you know, that to start speaking Spanish in America with somebody who is Latino, 
sometimes it makes an assumption that that person cannot speak English. And so I typically would not ever do that with somebody unless I could sense they were struggling with their English. If you do encounter uh, someone who's struggling with their English and you think they're a Latino, how will you start the conversation? I would just start speaking to the person in, in English. And if I see they're struggling, I would then move to Spanish. And if I see that that elicits a kind of smile and response and their face lights up, then I will continue in Spanish. Beyond knowing Spanish, Andrew had his own reasons for wanting to learn German and French as well. The world of classical music is very sort of intimately connected with those two cultures, not only in the repertoire that we play, but in terms of the world of performance. And both Germany and France have very rich cultural life, particularly in classical music. That was an important reason, but not the only reason for wanting to know German. I also have German heritage. I was learning a lot about my family history, and I I think that that inspired me to want to learn some German. And a third reason that was close to his heart. I was in a relationship with somebody who was German at the time. That also was a, a source of inspiration, and I had somebody with whom to practice. Andrew took just two years of German, and even though that relationship ended, his fluency in German did not. Just the other week, he told me he used his German performing in Vienna. But despite now having two languages in his repertoire, Andrew wasn't yet finished. Or maybe languages and love were not yet finished with him. A new relationship was again the reason that Andrew learned his third language. Little did I know that the last language I would learn would be the one that I would come to speak the best and that I use almost every day of my life. And with no small thanks to Emmanuel, who became Andrew's partner. My partner is French. I had a very interesting path with French because I started learning it as a child learns a language just by being surrounded by French speakers and because I started spending a lot of time in France. Andrew was in his mid-twenties at this point, so it wasn't quite like being a very young child. In fact, it became somewhat problematic. I was not learning it properly. I had not formally studied the language. And there were some advantages to that, some disadvantages. From the time I wanted to start learning French, I wish I had actually seriously committed myself to some sort of program. Was there a point where you decided that this is it, I'm just going to get serious about my French? I got tired of feeling left out of conversations. I got very tired of long dinner parties where I was lost in the conversation. I also got really tired of Emmanuel having to translate for me wherever we went. I also felt that I could not forge close relationships with the people around us in English alone, because, you know, um, with all due respect to the French, uh, of which I'm now one, I'm, I am now French and American, I have the dual nationality, but the French do not speak uh, 
English as a whole as proficiently as the Germans do. I think one can carry on better speaking only English in Germany than one can in France. If you live in France and you don't learn French, you will always feel slightly like a second-class citizen. Eventually, Andrew did work with a private tutor for about a year, who was... Phenomenal. Because the thing is, you need to be corrected when you make mistakes, and most people are too polite to say anything. Was there ever a time, Andrew, where you got really frustrated with it and thought, man, I'm just not going to be able to master this language? Absolutely. And, you know, and, and to be totally honest, to this day, you know, every day when I'm in France, I speak French for sure, but I also speak English. So my French is still not at the level I'd like it to be. Some days I feel that it can be tiring to speak French all day. My goal is to get to a point where that's not the case. Andrew's tutor also coached him in the kind of questions he would have to answer in French for the language exam that France requires for citizenship. You know, I mean, I, I could continue to live in France. I, I wouldn't be able to get the, the nationality, but I could live there and basically get by just speaking English. I could, but I didn't want to. It's a great sign of respect especially for Anglophones, to learn and master other languages because it's, it's not expected of us. Are they ever surprised that an American is living in their midst and speaking French so well? If you were born in America and your parents were born in America, you are not expected to be bilingual. There's a different expectation for Americans. And so every time... You know, we open our mouths in another language. I think listeners are pleasantly surprised. The kind of pleasant surprise that French radio and TV reporters have when they interview Andrew, and he replies smoothly in French. I think they are endeared by that. In your world of professional musicians, would you say that there are more bilinguals? Is it generally an asset as a musician? Every Asian that I have made music with is bilingual. Every European I've made music with is bilingual, at least. Literally everywhere I work, except the United States, I work with conductors or other instrumentalists or members of the orchestra who are bilingual. Most interesting to me is how your languages, your language skills play in your professional career. Because it's a sign of respect, I thought it would be valuable in my career to speak a few other languages so that when I'm performing in a French-speaking country, a German-speaking country, a Spanish-speaking country, I could communicate in those languages and show a kind of affinity for that culture. It's been an asset on both a practical level, but also it's been an asset in the human relations sense. Every time I work with an orchestra, with a promoter, and I can communicate with her or him in his, his or her native tongue, it is deeply appreciated. So let's say you're giving a, a concert in uh, France. Can you uh, give examples of what you might say? I am working with an orchestra in France, and the conductor 
is a French conductor conducting his or her French orchestra, they, they speak to the orchestra in French. I can understand what the conductor is saying to the orchestra, and then the conductor will speak to me in French, and we're all speaking the same language. I can see how that would be so important in rehearsal and awkward if, if he had to switch to English. Uh, I've worked uh, many times in Spain. I would stay in and uh, work in Spanish. And I, that's uh, ideal. So you've just had a standing ovation from your French audience. They're hoping for an encore. I would just say something like, uh, Merci beaucoup, c'est un grand plaisir d'être ici, uh, sur cette scène historique. Je suis uh, très heureux de, de jouer encore à nouveau en live, parce que les années uh, précédentes ont on été très difficiles à cause de la pandémie. On n'a pas eu l'opportunité de jouer de la musique en live pour vous. Donc, pour un bis, je voudrais jouer à Neuve de Chopin ou Debussy, n'importe. I would just announce whatever the piece I'm playing. And here's a recording of Andrew introducing a piece to his French-speaking audience at the Royal Opera of Versailles. J'ai choisi cette œuvre parce que je voulais jouer quelque chose qui a été composé well, I imagine not only do you uh, you speak French and German and, and Spanish to different uh, degrees, but you also have, a, I would imagine, a specialized vocabulary, uh, a musical vocabulary. Yes, and so that's the other issue um, about learning these languages, the other advantage... You know, a lot of the music I play, the German music and the French music, for example, I mean, a lot of the musical expressions that are notated by the composer are in those languages. Now, do you really need to speak those languages to understand those indications? No. I mean, you can just simply learn, like, I know all the Italian indications. I don't speak Italian. But I do think speaking these languages in terms of, like, the musical value is a great advantage. Because, you know, I like to do my research. I like to read what the composer said about their pieces. There's some debate, according to Andrew, about whether being able to speak the native language of a composer can improve your performance of their music. I think it was a famous French composer-conductor, Pierre Boulez, who believed that speaking German or knowing German affected your musicianship with Germanic music. And the reason why is because in German, you place the verb at the end of a phrase, at the end of a sentence. And so oftentimes they'll understand what somebody's saying in German. You have to wait until they're done with the entire sentence to even know what they're going to say because you got to wait for that verb at the end. In that sense, he believed that knowledge of German in a way would help you to think in longer phrases in Germanic music. And somehow that could actually influence the way you play Austro-Germanic music. I'm not sure I would go that far. I think it's, it's, it's a little bit 
It's a, it's a far-fetched, interesting concept. But what I would say about speaking these languages is that in speaking German, I develop a closer relationship with the German culture. By speaking French, I develop a closer relationship with the French culture, thereby establishing perhaps a closer relationship with the music. Would you say that your knowledge of German and French help you play German and French music better, more authentically, perhaps? I'm going to say either no or I'm not sure. By living in France, by speaking the language, has brought me closer to the French culture in many ways. And I think that that has also impacted my appreciation for French music. I can say for sure, before I moved to France, I played very little French music. Now I, I, it's some of my favorite repertoire in the world. But I'm not sure that just my speaking these languages helps me play the music. I think it's just, it, it all goes together. It's the, it's the immersion in the culture that would influence the way I make this music. Then Andrew shared with me what in classical music would be called counterpoint, two lines of melody played at the same time. But in this case, it's two languages. You know what I really enjoy is the challenge is actually doing sort of real-time translation in French. Yeah, or German, I've done that too with, you know, with my friends, you know, American friends who come to Paris and we're having a dinner conversation. I'm literally translating in real time what the person next to me is saying. It's, it's really rewarding when you feel you can do it. I mean, it makes me feel that, okay, I'm arrived at a level of mastery, you know, quite high to be able to do that in a moment. Is that anything like being able to play one melody with your left hand and one with your right hand? Yeah, sort of, yeah. <laughs> Two parts of the brain. Which is amazes me. I don't know how you do that. Yeah, just years of training. The left hand took me years to develop. Training that takes years to develop. Sounds like learning a language. Even with his fluency in three European languages, there are places Andrew performs where it's a completely different language. An easy default would be to speak English, but that's not how Andrew plays it. I've done like eight tours to Japan, and sometimes I've spoken to the audience. I've given, been given a statement to say in Japanese and practice it again and again. Even through that statement, I've learned a few words that I can recognize here and there, and it absolutely enhances your experience in that culture. It's a challenge to learn a language. But you know what? What I love about learning languages is just, it's not all or nothing. You can just learn a little bit, and that will open a few doors. And the more you learn, the more it opens. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation with pianist Andrew Von Oyen. You can read about some conversations with other fascinating bilinguals in my book, America's Bilingual Century, How Americans Are Giving the Gift of Bilingualism to Themselves, Their Loved Ones, and Their Country. Details are on the book page of americathebilingual.com. 
My thanks to members of the America the Bilingual team who worked on this episode. Fernando Hernandez and his production house in Guadalajara, Mexico. Esto no es radio. They also provide sound design and mixing. Thanks also to Mim Harrison, our editorial and brand director, who wrote this episode. And to Carla Hernandez at Darumatech, who manages our website. Be sure to check out our episode notes on the website. We've included a playlist of all of Andrew's beautiful music that you heard in this episode. Thanks for listening. For America the Bilingual, this is Steve Levine. I really like this project of yours. Nobody talks about this, and you think you're onto something.